0: listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, I love to worship with you. I love to sing the gospel together. I love to sing uh, great, rich, doctrinal truth uh, as we have this morning. Um, what a joy it is to be together and 'm um, so grateful that our church family is growing. Uh, I know some of you looking across the room you 're going i don 't recognize that face and i don 't recognize that face and i don 't recognize that face. Well, um, your responsibility then is to get to know those people, and I hope that you 'll take the time to do that uh, we 're growing in more ways than one we 've recently welcomed I think seven new families uh, to church membership uh, here at First Baptist Church. We have others who are uh, in the, the membership pipeline, you might say, but we 're also growing. Uh, from the nursery up. Uh, we've got a couple of new ones here this morning. So the Dixons and the Bovers, we uh, rejoice with you at a New Life in Your Homes. We had a set of triplets in our nursery last week. I know some of you are thinking, oh my goodness. Um, can you imagine? Um, but yeah, what a joy. And so it is good to see you and always good to see uh, new faces, meet new friends. We like to say that this is a place where friends can become family. And I hope that you find that to be true. We don't want that to just be a slogan, okay? Uh, and so always good uh, to see you. Well, last week, remember last week when I shouted over the rain, or tried to anyway? I hope that uh, you caught something uh, from last week's message. Last week in our study of Paul's letter here to the church at Corinth, uh, we learned that it's one thing to grow old, but it's another thing to grow up. We've got a lot of Christians today who've grown older but I'm not certain that they've grown up. I'm not sure that they've spiritually matured. And so while it is a joy to see our church family growing numerically, uh, even more important than that, I want us to be growing up spiritually. Uh, I want us to be growing in Christ-likeness, becoming more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every, every single day. Um, In verse number 12 here, we're going to be in verses 10 through 23 here in just a moment, but in verse 12 where Paul writes, now if anyone builds on this foundation, the word translated builds there is actually in the present tense. It's a present tense verb and it implies an ongoing process. Uh, It's not as if we reach a place where we can say, I'm done growing in my Christian life. I know those of you who have kids, uh, you take them to the doctor regularly, uh, and they will, especially when they're younger, it seems like they put them on a, on a, on a per- percentile as it relates to their growth and everything, and, and um, as they grow into their teenage years and even their early adult years, there are times when you, you look at your kids and go, well, where did this kid come from? Like, they just seem to grow so fast, but then you know that at some point, that process is going to stop, that you're probably about as tall as you're going to be, Right? Uh, I can remember when our oldest son, Matt, was uh, in his teenage years, he was having some issues with this Osgood slaughters thing related to growth and having some pain in his knees and everything. And the doctor assured us that he would eventually kind of grow out of that. Um, But, you know, we reach a place where we kind of quit growing up and then we start growing out, right? That's that's the phase of life that I'm in right now. I'm not getting any taller, but I seem to be getting a little wider. Um, And we try to to hold that off as much as we possibly can. But uh, this process of spiritual growth, it's not as if you reach this place where you're done growing spiritually until, of course, that we're we're glorified and we're in the very presence of our Lord. Uh, And it's then that we are even removed from the presence of sin. Uh, we are glorified. We no longer need faith at that point. Our faith will have become sight. Uh, so we often talk about the different uh, aspects or phases. And maybe that's not the great way to put it, not a great way to put it, but of salvation, there's justification. That's the moment that you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ and you are declared justified. And a good way to remember what that word means is you're made just as if you'd never sinned, okay? And that applies not only to that moment, but to the future, okay? Then there's sanctification, so that begins this process whereby we are becoming growing in Christ likeness. Uh, the ways that you used to respond, the things that you used to prioritize, maybe you don't anymore because you've grown in Christ likeness. Maybe uh, God is helping you by his holy spirit and through his word to, to put aside anger uh, and and childish uh, immature responses to things, and you're responding in a more Christ like way by the grace of God. And so that's kind of the appeal that the Apostle Paul is making to the church in Corinth here. And then, of course, there's glorification that I spoke of a moment ago, where we are saved even from the very presence of sin. Right now, and it's no secret to any of us here in the room this morning, we are still living in the presence of sin, right? We're living in a very broken, messed up, sinful world. Uh, but someday that will not be our reality. Uh, And so uh, many of the young believers here in Corinth uh, had in some ways stopped growing. Uh, Their growth was being stunted, causing division and strife in the fellowship, slowing down the work of God. They had settled for a form of carnal Christianity, fleshly Christianity, and they were saved, uh, but they were not living like they were saved. It's, it goes back to even what we talked about earlier in this uh, study of 1 Corinthians. You've got to live like who you are. Live out your identity in Jesus Christ. Uh, I said it this way to someone this past week in a conversation. I said, you know, depending on your work environment and the situation in which you find yourself each day, you may not be able to, to be an overtly bold witness for Jesus Christ, okay? It may jeopardize your job and that kind of thing. I understand that. I said, but, but here's the thing. If you're a believer if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and one of your coworkers finds that out, okay? Maybe they don't know you very well or whatever, and they discover, they find out you're a Christian. They shouldn't be surprised by that news. Okay? It shouldn't be like, whoa, wait, what? You're a Christian? <laughs> that shouldn't be the case. And so um, I hope that you are daily striving in every way to live out your faith and you are growing. Uh, in Christ likeness. Growing is a constant need in the Christian life. And growing comes by way of the the word of God. And with the word of God before you and the Holy Spirit within you, uh, shedding light on the truth of the word of God, you can be a growing uh, Christian. Now, last week we read in verse number nine, you are God's field. You are God's building. Uh, and then in verse 16, that we'll be looking at today, you are God's temple. So we have these metaphors. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are God's temple. The word translated field uh, describes a piece of land that was uh, actively being cultivated. You are God's field. Uh, together as a church, we are God's field. And we said the priority in that is increase. Um, most of you know that I worked my way through seminary on a dairy farm, and, and part of working on the dairy farm was, was planting crops. Uh, and so we would cultivate the field, we would, we would uh, plow the field, we would plant the seed, and then we would pray for a harvest. Uh, and so we wanted to see increase. And obviously, one of the laws of the harvest is that you reap actually more than you sow. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the idea here. We want uh, First Baptist Church Van Allstein to be a field that is producing, or we would say it this way spiritually reproducing. We want to make disciples who are making disciples uh, and growing that way. And so, how do we do that? Well, if we rewind to verse number six, we see that it's a, about cultivating the ground, it's about planting seed, it's about watering seed. And so, what is it that we're to be planting in the lives of people? What's well, gospel seed? the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that water, uh, the word of God is, is pictured with water many times in scripture. It says uh, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then you're washed by the water of the word, the word of God. It cleanses us That's why we have to continually be in the word of God. And then remember, Paul says, it makes it clear. He goes, I can plant, Apollos can water, or Apollos can plant, I can water. And we all play a part in this uh, this picture, uh, this farm metaphor. But ultimately, it's God who gives the increase. It's God who gives the increase. So we should just be faithful farmhands in the work of the ministry. Now, this is a picture that is seen many times through scripture, both the Old and New Testaments. I think back to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse number 3, where it says, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. In Hosea chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way. So what is fallow ground? Well, it's soil that's been untended or abandoned in some cases, that's been overgrown with with weeds and with thorns. And when God says to break up your fallow ground, he's saying to clear out the weeds, clear out the thorns of your life, dig out the weeds of, of godlessness in your life, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. One of the other laws of the harvest is you can't expect to reap something different than you have sown. So you don't plant corn and expect to reap wheat. Okay, you can't sow seeds of unrighteousness, seeds of the flesh, and expect to, to reap righteousness. <laughs> and so that's the picture here. Now obviously in this particular case, he is referring to the church and church leaders. And while we know that the church is made up of individual people, uh, we are only as healthy as, as we are as individual followers of Jesus Christ uh, he is primarily talking about the church. He's talking about himself and other church leaders and how they are building up uh, God's, uh, God's building. And so he moves from this metaphor of God's field to God's building. Let's look at it together. Verses 10 through 23. We'll be uh, going through the entire uh, end of chapter 3 here. According to the grace of God given to me. Isn't it amazing how Paul continues to go back to the grace of God? Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. He keeps coming back to this theme of these, these Corinthian believers boasting in their leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And so he's, he's kind of put this bookend here on chapter 3. He says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So as in the farm metaphor that we looked at in really verses five through nine, Paul distinguishes here church leaders, uh, elders, pastors, uh, teachers, church leaders from the rest of the church. And in the construction metaphor that he now moves into, church leaders are pictured as the builders uh, and the rest of the church is the building. So we are charged as church leaders with building up the church. Okay, that doesn't just mean numerical growth. Okay, we're not just looking at the stats, in other words, uh, to see that we're growing in number. That, that's, uh, that's an indication that we are growing spiritually because we are reproducing. Okay, we're, we're pulling so- people alongside us as we passionately pursue uh, Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And so we are to edify the body. It's why we often say, as we gather, we don't want you to leave here and just be better informed. We want you to be what? Transformed. Because when you are transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of the word of God, then you are truly growing spiritually. Nowhere in scripture do we find that God intends for his people to just become bloated with more biblical knowledge. It's not wrong to learn, and we should always all be learning, but what do you do with that knowledge? Are you putting it into practice? Are you actually living it out every day of your life? Is it transforming you? Okay, there's some things that Paul makes clear here in the text. Let's look at them together. Number one, we must build on the right foundation. We must build on the right foundation. Are we building on the right foundation, on a solid and sure and stable foundation? I'm talking about the kind of foundation that when the storms come, and they will... When hardship comes, and it will. When life brings surprises and setbacks, and it will. Uh, we've been experiencing that for, for the best part of a year now, right? Um, we, we find that uh, in, in the midst of all of that, are we building on a foundation that gives us a firm footing, a solid foundation, There's only one foundation that can do that, and we find here in verse number 11 that no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The reason that so many people in the last year have found themselves absolutely despondent and living in despair and defeat and all of those things because of all the circumstances around us, whether it be a a pandemic or an election or racial tension or whatever has come at us in the last year. The reason people find themselves shaking in their boots, literally, is because they're not building their lives on a firm foundation. None of those things has changed who the Lord is. Okay, it's not as if in the last year, because of all that we've experienced, God is off his game. Okay, or these things have shaken the Lord, the the God of the universe. In no way, none of these things have taken him by surprise. And so that's our foundation. Jesus is that sure foundation. He's that solid foundation. He's that stable foundation. No cracks in that foundation. No weaknesses in that foundation. Uh, I remember years ago, I grew up over in the Louisville Flower Mound area, and there was a hospital built over there in Denton County as you head up toward Denton on Highway 35. I can't remember exactly where it was. Some of you might remember this if you grew up in the Metroplex. But they built a really pretty hospital over over on, the, uh, on the, the I guess it would be the northbound side of Highway 35, looked great from the outside, but it was not occupied for a long time. Could not get a certificate of occupancy, because there was something wrong with that building structurally. And it went back to the foundation. Something wasn't right. Now, when you drove past it, you would have thought, "What's wrong with that building? Looks fine but structurally there was something wrong with that building. And the same thing can be true of us. You look like you've got it all together on the outside, generally speaking. We can fake it, right? We can put up a facade. I've, I, I've, I've got it together. But in reality, we don't many times. The same thing could be true for a church. We want to make sure that we are building on a firm foundation a true foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. And so included in that right foundation are his person, his life, his teachings, his resurrection, his ascension, and His someday his return. Just as there is one gospel and one salvation and one way and one name and one door and one church and one head and one body, there is one foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, over the last few years, I've sat in a lot of meetings with some of you talking about our future building plans. And we've strategized and we've talked and we've revisited concepts and ideas and all of these different things. Almost to the point that I think most of us are just weary of it all, right? And you can talk about ways that you can cut costs here without, without jeopardizing quality and all of those sorts of things. I don't remember one conversation where anybody has said, you know what, I think we can save a ton of money on the foundation, if we just like, find somebody that'll do it like, really cheap, we just get somebody to do it really cheap. Maybe use some different material that's a lot cheaper. You've got to be really careful that, that, that you not find some cheap substitute for the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of cheap substitutes out there today. A whole lot of them. And it's no secret to any of you. You can watch some churches and some ministries and various things, and you can see that they are not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you this as a matter of accountability. You come to church and you find that Pastor Mike is no longer opening this book. Maybe he's just holding it while he talks about his ideas and his opinions and his philosophies and all those things, but we never go back to this book. Then you know something's wrong, That, that we've chosen a cheap substitute some of us guys, were we passed around a little video this week of a guy who had a Bible in his hand, but, but based on the things he was saying that were to, not, not, only, not, not only unbiblical, they were anti-biblical. You, you were, we were just left to go, what, what text does he even think he's preaching from? We had no clue. I don't want that to ever be the case here. I don't want you to ever come in and go, you know that message of Pastor Mike? Where did that, where, is that anywhere in scripture? <laughs> That's why we are committed as leaders here at First Baptist Church to be a church that is biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. We are committed to text-driven preaching. We want the message to come from the Word of God. That's our foundation. So we've got to build on the right foundation. Number two, we must build with the right materials. We must build with the right materials. If you look at verses 12 and 13 again, find some language that may seem a little strange to us. It says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Again, you see that verb build there. If anyone builds on this foundation, again, that is in the present tense. Now, if anyone builds and keeps on building, is essentially what he is saying here. Once the foundation is laid, the building on that foundation starts and never ends. We're to continue to build upon that solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Now, that was part of the problem with the believers here at Corinth. The foundation had been laid, but they'd stopped building on it, they were using faulty materials. And so, a foundation is laid for the purpose of building something on it. You don't want to just lay a foundation and then walk off and leave it. In fact, the Bible talks about uh, the, the folly of that. You've got to count the cost. So, you lay a foundation for the purpose of building something on that foundation. And one of the things that we've continually come back to in these conversations about our future is that much of the cost on the front end isn't anything to look at. In fact, some of it you won't ever see, it's, it's below the ground it's infrastructure. It, it, it's in place. And it's certainly important if we want to be able to have fresh water and flush the toilets, right? All that stuff's important. Got to have a place to park our cars, got to have a solid foundation. But, but none of that is anything that you see and can, and can, can, find attractive, but it's so critically important. But what is it that we use to build upon that foundation? Now that's where we can have some conversations, there are different building methods. There are different, different uh, materials that are used. Those kinds of things are changing all the time as, as different products develop, and there's new technology, and all of these various things, different ways in which you can go about building a building. And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul gives us here, and he's making it clear that really there are, there are two types of building materials. Those which are eternal, and those are the first three in the listing there, the gold, the silver, the precious stones and those which are not eternal, those which don't last. And some of you are thinking back now uh, to your early days when you learned the story of the three pigs, right? Yeah, and so that's kind of the idea of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. He's saying, hey, you've got to make certain that you are building with the right materials. A foundation is laid for the purpose of building upon it. But you want that building to last. I want that building to be durable rather than perishable. And so we are building upon it. And so for the permanent, the durable materials, we've got the gold, silver, the precious stones, the temporary, the perishable materials, the wood, hay, the the straw. So what does the gold, silver, and precious stones consist of in building lives, in building the church? What are we to be building our lives upon and and helping build into the lives of other people? Things that will not perish. Well, if we backtrack, we rewind to chapter 2, verse number 10, we see what that consists of. Those things that God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then even back further into chapter 2, verse number 7. But we speak the wisdom of God. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And so when a pastor, a teacher, rightly divides the word of truth to the membership, helping them be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, he is building into their lives those things that will not perish. Gold, silver, precious stones. When we help bring somebody to faith in Jesus Christ, when we share the gospel, when we help rescue those who are perishing, that is gold, silver, and precious stones. That's eternal. That's eternal. That's eternal. Now, if the permanent and durable materials speak of that which is lasting and has eternal value, what does the wood, hay, and the straw speak of? They speak of those things that have no lasting value, no eternal value. And so if if what we're building, uh, building with, cannot endure the test, in this case, the test of fire the Apostle Paul talks about, then we're building with wood, hay, and straw so back to the to the building process okay, if you're in the midst of a building project every so often along the way there are going to be certain inspections that are required There's going to be an inspector that's going to come out and is going to to make certain uh, that that this building is going up with integrity, that it's being, uh, you're following certain building standards, even certain uh, ordinances and codes and laws even, and all these things that are in place to ensure that you don't go over and build something that's two years from now, it's not going to be there. Well, that's essentially what Paul is talking about here. In verse 13, it says, each one's work will become clear think visible, think be seen, for the day will declare it, will exhibit it, because it will be revealed, make fully known as the idea by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, Paul is saying in this building up of the building, the family of God, the church, there's going to come a time for inspection. There's going to come a time for inspection. Now, this is serious business. And I believe what the Apostle Paul is referencing here is what we call the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. The Bema. There are at least three places in Scripture that I believe refer to the Bema, to the judgment seat of Christ. This is not to be confused with the great white throne judgment, where there will be a separation of the saved and the unsaved. Okay, He makes it clear here that they will be saved, but they will lose reward or they will gain reward. And so we will be all called to give an account at that time, the bema was really, it's a word that basically means a stand, okay? It's, think of uh, in the Olympic Games when uh, the Olympians received their medals, okay? That is kind of a picture of the bema. You see the, the, the higher stand for the person who receives the gold medal, then there's a different level for the silver and then the bronze. That, that, that's kind of the idea, the picture, and it was used in different ways in their culture uh, even still. But the idea is that our works will be tested as by fire, and so if we were building with the wrong heart motivation, if, 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 if God uh, calls, calls into account my ministry, certainly it's going to be looked at. Mike, were you just trying to build your own platform? Trying to make a name for yourself? Or were you truly building my church? you just trying to build a church for your glory? And we see evidences of this all the time on the church landscape around the world. Around the world. So what is that going to look like? Well, there's an inspection coming. And then Paul, this is so serious, Paul issues another warning. He says, God will destroy anyone who destroys the temple. Verse 16, the church as a group is God's temple in this case. Verse 17, the first sentence is this severe general warning. If anyone destroys God's temple, think the church, God will destroy that person. Now it's interesting, the language changes just a little bit here. Paul warns anyone. He doesn't say if any builder destroys God's temple. Now he moves from talking specifically to us church leaders to talking to anyone. If anyone destroys God's temple. And so what he says certainly still fits with this building metaphor, since builders may construct the building, but anyone can destroy a building. And trust me, there are some people today who are dead set on destroying the church. Destroying the church more and more. As, as, as we see more and more social media platforms and all these sorts of things, it's amazing how many people, these discernment ministries are cropping up everywhere. They think their job is just to criticize and critique every little thing. Now certainly we're to be discerning, don't misunderstand. But some people believe that they are called to just, and, and you know, we, we, we look at certain things in scripture and we can cheer all day long for certain things that are listed as things that God hates. Man, we can, that rah, rah, yes. But then we forget, and those lists are things like a proud look, a lying tongue, and those who sow discord among the brethren. God hates that. God hates those who would destroy the church. God hates it. So I would say if it's something that God hates, We should make certain that we're not given to that in any way, to destroying the church. So we've got to build with the right materials, those things that are eternal, those things that are lasting. And then we must build according to the right plan, to the right plan. There is a wisdom of this world that seems to work for the world. I, I guarantee you, I, in less than five minutes, I could go online and I can find multiple things out there, multiple financial plans, marketing plans, all, all sorts of things that, that, that may have some measure of success in the world. People have made money doing these things and putting these principles into practice and, and all those kinds of things. And not all of those things are bad necessarily. I'm not suggesting that they're sinful. But a lot of those things don't work for God's church. And we often say it this way, the church fundamentally is not a business, but it should be operated by good business principles. Okay, so, you know, there was a a time a few years ago, about the middle of my time in ministry now, so 15 years ago, when you started hearing more and more at church conferences uh, using terminology like church marketing, And, and I don't remember ever hearing that very much in church life, church marketing and things of that nature. And I'm not suggesting that that's bad. I mean, there's an aspect of, of marketing that's applicable to the church, certainly. But I think what Paul is getting at here is we've got to make certain that we are following God's plan for building the church. A lot of people today try trying all kinds of crazy stuff to build the church horse and pony shows type stuff. You know, there's this attractional model. Okay, we've got to be careful. Certainly, we want to be attractive in the sense that we want to be welcoming and warm and friendly and relevant to the world in which we live and and, and be real. But, But if we're just following some sort of an attractional model where we start fundamentally with, well, what do people want to hear? Let's give them some of that. Let's give them a huge dose of what they want to hear instead of the truth of the word of God. That's a different story. And that's what seems to be happening many times in churches all across America, particularly and it's, it's interesting, we shouldn't be surprised by that because scripture tells us that there will be people who, who in these last days will just heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. Now, do I want you to be encouraged when you come to church each week? Sure. But if all we ever do is all get together and just kind of pat each other on the back and say, man, we're amazing, aren't we? I doubt we're going to grow a whole lot in Christ likeness. I mean, I don't want to be a party pooper or anything. (laughs) But the truth is, we're all a work in progress. We've, we've, We've all got a long ways to go, right? And so what is the plan that we follow in building up the church? It's interesting that here, this wisdom of this world, God has this specific plan for the church. And in verses 19 and 20, he warns that man's wisdom will only trap him. That's a quotation actually from Job chapter 5, verse number 13. And man's wisdom only leads to vanity and futility, which is a quotation of Psalm chapter 94, verse 11. And so, though the church must be identified with the needs of the world, and and the needs are great, and the answer is Jesus, we know that to be true, we must not imitate the wisdom of the world. We've got to build according to the right plan. And then finally, we must build with the right motive. We must build with the right motive. And that motive is for the glory of God alone. Full stop. For the glory of God alone. What are the the solas of the Reformation? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, built upon the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. (laughs) That's the right motive. The members of the Corinthian church were glorying in men. That's why they were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, those kinds of things. They were comparing men, dividing the church by carnal thinking, carnal priorities. Had they been seeking to glorify God alone, there would have been harmony in the assembly. And then Paul closes this appeal by pointing out that each believer possesses all things in Christ. Do you realize how incredibly wealthy we are if we've turned from our sin to faith in Jesus Christ? You say, Pastor, my bank account tells me I'm not very rich. Well, mine does too. But I am incredibly wealthy based upon my relationship with Jesus Christ. Incredibly wealthy. So what does he say? Well, he talks about this idea of liberty. He says, all are yours, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. None of those things should cause us concern. None of those things. How rich we are in Christ. But then he couples that and he balances that with this responsibility. Not only is all this yours in Christ, but check this out, you are Christ's. That balances things. I have all things in Christ Jesus, but I must not become careless or use my freedom unwisely because I'm responsible, the one to whom I belong. So fundamentally, this whole thing that we call church, the life of the church and the building up of the church, and as we look at these metaphors of the field and the building and the temple and all of these things, what is it all about? It's about a group of broken, sinful by the grace of God, redeemed people who are striving every day to become more like Jesus Christ and make much of Him for His glory alone. That's it. We employ different methodologies and different things so long as they don't compromise the message. So every church looks a little bit different in the sense that they have a kind of a different personality, different, but ultimately that's our purpose to be building up one another in the faith. It's one thing to grow old. It's another thing to grow up. And I hope that you are growing up in Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that I get to have a part in that. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.